Welcome to Faith Seeking Understanding, a place dedicated to the discussion of Christian faith in 21st century life. C.S. Lewis said, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. So join us as we endeavor to understand 21st century life through the lens of Christian faith. I'm your host, Alan Bevere, pastor, professor, author, and lover of Five Alarm Food. Come and seek with me. Let us remain standing for the reading of the gospel. In today's lesson from the Gospel of Mark, Jesus and his disciples are reaching uh, toward the end of Jesus' journey as they travel toward Jerusalem where he will fulfill his mission through through cross and through resurrection. And in our lesson today, Jesus is trying to help the disciples understand that the way he will complete his mission as Messiah is much different from what they have come to believe, from the training they had received in the synagogue as boys growing up, and that it's going to look much different, and the gospel continues to remind us that the disciples just struggle to understand uh, this new way of thinking about what Jesus' ministry, how Jesus will fulfill his ministry, and what it means for how his disciples are to live. So let us hear these words from Mark. From there, Jesus and his followers went through Galilee, but he didn't want anyone to know it. This was because he was teaching his disciples. The human one will be delivered into human hands. They will kill him. Three days after he is killed, he will rise up. But they didn't understand this kind of talk, and they were afraid to ask him. They entered Capernaum. When they had come into a house, he asked them, What were you arguing about during the journey? They didn't respond, since on the way they had been debating with each other about who was the greatest. He sat down, called the twelve, and said to them, Whoever wants to be first must be least of all and the servant of all. Jesus reached for a little child, placed him among the twelve, and embraced him. Then he said, Whoever welcomes one of these children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me isn't actually welcoming me, but rather the one who sent me. This is the gospel of our Lord. Please be seated. Let us pray. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our God, our wisdom, our salvation. Amen. Many years ago, I knew a person. Um, He was uh, probably about 10 years older than than I was. And he was a person that not only didn't like to go to the doctor, but he lived his life in denial about his health. He was having trouble with his eyesight and wasn't feeling well, and he went to the doctor only after his wife just continued to hound him. He went to the doctor, ran some te- they ran some tests, came back, you've got high blood pressure, 
and your blood sugar is high, we need to do more tests, you're probably diabetic. Nope, I'm okay. I'm good. And he refused to do anything about it. He went on like this for maybe a couple, three, four years, and again, he was having different kinds of symptoms, and again, he went to the doctor only because his wife was hounding him. Did some tests, came back and said, you need a pacemaker. He said, nope, I'm fine. I really am fine. He was told he needed that pacemaker, but he refused to listen. He was, I don't know to this day what it was, but he was just in complete denial about all of this, and it wasn't too long afterwards he had a heart attack and died. There are times when the truth can be hard to hear for all of us. There's times when the truth is comforting to us, We take solace in it. Jesus says, come to me, all of you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And that comforts us. That truth comforts us. And then there are times when, well, the truth is difficult to hear. And I think it's true in our time, perhaps even more so. Maybe we're going through a stretch. I don't know. Where not only in our, the, the society out there, but in the church, we seem so polarized and divided that one of the things we don't really do is we don't talk to each other. We don't listen to people who differ from us. We tend to get in our echo chambers, as it's called. Lindsay mentioned that last week. We tend to get, it's confirmation bias, as all the psychologists tell us. We all have confirmation bias. By the way, every one of us has this problem, and that is we tend to navigate toward the people and the the other places that confirm what we believe. We tend to ignore the things that might challenge them. We all have this problem. It isn't just those people who disagree with me. I had a religion professor in college, a wise religion professor, who liked to say, there are two kinds of people in this world. Those who are so open-minded, their brains leak out their ears. And others who are so closed-minded, they can see through a keyhole with both eyes. And the Bible speaks to the, both of those issues, and one day uh, in the lectionary will give us a passage where I can speak to the first one, and I will, but today the passage speaks to the latter. Do we see through a keyhole with both eyes? Studies, surveys have been done over the last 20 years by different, different organizations that this is what they do, right? They take polls, and they do surveys, and they do studies, and They come out the same on this question all the time. Do you get your information, whether it's by watching TV or whether it's by the internet or whether it's by whatever it is we choose to read, do you you seek out information to be informed or to be confirmed? And while the vast majority of us would say, well, yeah, we want to be informed. I, I read what I read and I 
watch what I watch because I want to be informed. Inevitably, the studies have shown that 60 plus percent, depending on the study, of us really more want to be confirmed than informed. And when we're not confirmed, we go somewhere else. And I think this is a problem. I, I mean, I, you know, by the way, this is one of the reasons I'm such a big fan of conversation. Not so that we can try and convince each other that I'm right and you're wrong or you're right and I'm wrong, but rather that we understand each other. To talk in order to understand and clarify each other for each other. Because it's so easy to demonize people who don't agree with us and then we actually get to know them and we say, oh my gosh, they're people too. Jesus' disciples in our gospel reading are doing a real good job of seeing through a keyhole with both eyes. Jesus has been trying to tell them what his mission is about. They know, they, they know what they believe the Messiah is supposed to do. They were raised with it. They were raised with it in the synagogue as they were boys going for instruction and as they listened every week to, to the rabbi preach in synagogue in prayer time. And they just knew this, that the Messiah was going to come and the Messiah was going to deliver the people in a specific way. And now here comes Jesus, this guy they're following as the Messiah, and he's trying to tell them, no, that isn't the way it's going to work. It looks differently. The Messiah is not going to ride into Jerusalem on a horse conquering the enemy. The Messiah is going to ride into Jerusalem on a donkey and be crucified. And that is how salvation will be secured, and they don't understand. And then in our gospel reading, to top it off, they get into a house, and Jesus knows they've been bickering about something. This just almost sounds like a parent with children, right? What are you arguing about? And they don't want to tell them. <laughs> because it seems that instead of, Jesus, instead of the disciples getting the message about what that suffering Messiah is about and doing, somehow they take it in another direction and they're actually having an argument over who's the greatest. And we don't know what that was about. We're not told of the details. Was, you know, was John saying to, to Andrew, you know, Jesus likes me better? Or perhaps Peter, James, and John, who we know Jesus sometimes just took the three of them to certain places, like up on the Mount of Transfiguration, sometimes into a house to, to perform a healing. He just took the three of them in and left the other disciples out. Maybe Peter, James, and John says, well, you know, Jesus takes us to these places where you don't go. What does that tell you? Uh, we don't know all the details, but they're arguing about who's the greatest. Who's the best? And then Jesus surprises them again 
by illustrating what it means to not be the greatest in the kingdom but the least of the kingdom, he takes a child and he puts that child in their midst and says, unless you become like this child, this is what you have to become like. Now, we in the 21st century often misunderstand this because, you know, we, like, we put children at the center of attention all the time right? The church, we want more youth. We want more young people. In the, we, we do all kinds of things for our kids. We do things for the kids in the community, and rightly so. We need to do that. Carol and I were at our one granddaughter's fifth birthday yesterday, and you couldn't have watched that and not know kids weren't at the center of that celebration. But you see, in Jesus' day, it's different. Yes, children and uh, parents in Jesus' day love their children. Grandparents love their grandchildren. They did. But a child in Jesus' day has absolutely no, as the language we would use, has no rights in that society. They're just as vulnerable as the widows and the orphans and all the people on the margins. They were utterly dependent. There was no recourse for them if they had abusive parents, for example. And so when Jesus takes a child, this is not sentimental. There's nothing sentimental here. He is saying, unless you are willing to become like this, you can't be the greatest. And I think after 2,000 years, we in the church still struggle with this, don't we? Because when we think of being the greatest, we think of what? Being the best. Top dog. Tom Brady's the GOAT, right? Greatest of all time. And we think of success and influence and ambition When we hear being the greatest, we think exactly what those first disciples thought. And after 2,000 years, we still struggle to understand what it looks like to be the greatest in the kingdom through the eyes of Jesus. What if, I'm just musing here, What if we had a competition to see who could be the greatest servant? What if we had a competition to see who would go the extra mile? Now, I'm not suggesting we do that because Jesus also said, when you do your good stuff, don't let anybody know about it. But I'm saying, what if we strove in zeal to outdo? This is what Paul says to the Galatians. Never, never lag in doing, outdoing one another in love. What if we as the church really took Scripture seriously and the first thing we thought of and how we are to behave as Christians is not thinking first I've got my rights, which is not in the Bible, but thinking first, how do I love my neighbor? 
because that's in the Bible, and that permeates Scripture. And if we believe we want to be tethered to Scripture, <clears throat> if we believe Scripture is at the center of what we're about, and I know we believe that, then we need to be looking at the church, the world, our ministry through the lens of that biblical worldview. One of the things I've noticed in our reading the Bible in a year, one of the things I love about Scripture is I don't care how many years you study it, you always learn something when you keep studying it. And the one thing that has just hit home, there's been more than one thing, the one thing that's hit home to me in reading through the prophets is that it's not just Amos, it's Jeremiah, it's Ezekiel. And we're starting in the minor prophets, so we probably got more of this to come. How many times God says to the people through the prophet, I don't care how sincere your worship is. I don't care how wonderful your songs are. I don't care about your eloquent prayers when you gather together in the temple. You know why I don't care? Because you're not living the way you say you're worshiping. Because you're not seeking justice. Because in your worship, you, you prove by your life during the week, outside of the temple, you prove that you're all talk. Nowhere in the Bible does it say, I don't like, I'm rejecting the way you live your life because I don't like your worship. But it says in plenty of places, I don't like your worship because I see your way of life. <laughs> wow. Now, that's not an argument against good worship. Not at all. That's not what God is saying. God loves it when we praise, when we prepare, when we, when we lift the voices, we lift our wonderful music up to God. God loves all of that. But just as we get impatient with people we know who are all talk and no action, so God gets impatient with his people. And the disciples cannot see that now that Jesus has come, there's a new way of doing things. And it just looks different. It's upside down. It's not the what we're used to. It's so difficult. And it is. By the way, I don't, I don't remember anywhere where Jesus said, if you follow me, it'll all be easy. But what Jesus has come to do is to help us have a new way of seeing how God is at work in the world through Jesus and that God wants to work through his people, Jesus' people, in the same way. And that what we think of what it means to be great is different. What we think what it means to be free is different. This is Paul's message in Galatians, isn't it? That 
freedom in Christ is, is not the freedom to do what we want. Rather, it's the freedom to do what we ought. <laughs> That's freedom for Paul. And so the question for us then today, at least my question I'm asking myself, is where have I allowed the worldly definition of greatness and understanding of greatness getting, get in the way of, of my faith walk and walking in a way that Jesus would be pleased. Walking in a way that Jesus would recognize. Walking in a way that Jesus would say to me, well done, good and faithful servant. Where, like the disciples, do I see through a keyhole with both eyes? Let us pray. Oh, gracious God, there is no doubt that you call us to the great adventure of the gospel. What a wonderful life it is. And we are so thankful for your love that surrounds us and that in your love in Jesus Christ, you have gone the second mile. You have gone the limit on our behalf. What a blessing that is. And as much as we love to receive that great gift you've given to us, we confess it can be difficult to return the favor. It can be difficult to go against the flow of so much that we hear. But help us to be open to those voices that are different. And particularly as we read scripture, to, to read the prophets, to read the prophets with an open mind, to read the gospels, to not be so concerned to make the difficult passages of scripture twist we don't twist them in a way to fit in with what we already believe but help them help us to hear them as they come to us that they might indeed shape what we believe and we know that this task of transformation isn't easy but we're so thankful that you have given to us the gift of your spirit for we know that without your spirit the kind of transformation that you bring in Jesus Christ is not possible. Hear our prayers this day, in Jesus' name.